All right. So for today on the podcast on Saturday in May, I have Miss Shiny Like a Penny. That's not that's <laughs> not her trademark name, but Shiny, all the way from Canada, who's a motivational speaker in the visually impaired community. And I've been really looking forward to this podcast. So what's up? Nothing much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I know you live in a beautiful, sunny place. For me, it's uh, kind of rainy today, but I'll pretend <laughs> I'm in Florida with you right now. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate it. Well, if you ever come through, you hit me up. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> hit me up because like uh, I always tell people I, I'm, 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 I'm dead ass about it because I tell people all the time, listen, if you come to Miami, let me know. I would totally hang out and I'll show you where to go. And um, I don't go clubbing as much as I used to, but I still know the areas that are so good to go. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going I'm to mark that down and hold you to there it. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, can you guys even leave Canada now? No. Like, going well, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Not right now. No. Uh, let, let's, I'll come back to you in about two years, maybe. <laughs> oh, in two years. Oh, man. You guys, that's crazy. You guys like, like, just like, it's almost like a movie that, um, you know, it's like, like, like national lockdown, like no one in or out and, and Technically, just, I can leave, but the thing is, if I come back, I got a quarantine for like two weeks. So, like, that's like four weeks of vacation there, right? So, mm, I'll wait. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. So, how long? How long you been living up there? You're in Montreal, Canada. Yes. Right? So, uh, born in Montreal, I lived in Montreal up until I was six, and then I moved to Ontario, which is Ottawa, Ontario, which is like two hours from here. I lived there till I was thirteen. Then we moved back to Montreal when I was 13 and I've been here ever since. And yeah, it's home. I don't see myself leaving, but I guess never say never, but uh, it's home. It's nice. It's not like too much of a hustle and bustle place. So I've kind of memorized the city. So it's kind of when you work with vision loss, memorization plays a huge role. And like transportation is really like key here. It's very easy and accessible. So I've made it home and, uh, if you ever come here, you better hit me up because uh, I'll show you my job. And especially yeah, that's the summer, what's up. super, super nice. I've never been. I've heard many great things. I've uh, met a lot of great people in Canada because of this podcast, which I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. And and all you guys are super nice. And and yeah, so I hear a lot of great things about it before before all like but look look i will be the first to say it you know because i i would admit all my limitations before all i knew about canada was hockey and maple syrup and then and you guys were just like right up there that's all i knew <laughs> that's all i fucking knew. well you know what i don't think you're the only person that ever thought that though <laughs> don't feel bad <laughs> you know so um but but you know but um over the years when i've gotten more conscious of or paying attention more to canada it's such a i feel like it's such a um a progressive and it's such a yeah such a progressive country and and i don't know like even in the disabled community like the last uh, i had a guest a few weeks ago alt route who's his kid i think he lives in ontario and he wants to do a skate park for blind kids or visually impaired. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's so fucking amazing. And then what's even amazing is he's getting sponsorship or support from the from this from Ontario, I think. Mm -hmm. And like that's amazing because like here in the state of Florida, you have all these old ass people who are just living back in 1970. Like, mm, like yeah. they would never they would never invest time into yeah. like these kids doing a skate park, an accessible skate park. Yeah, we're quite grateful in Canada, honestly, like, uh, if you work with organizations or like the government, and like, if you have a good, like, 
business case, I guess you can call it. Uh, they're pretty supportive. And I guess they realize too how much, how big our disabled community is. Like people don't realize how many of us there are because most of us, it's, it's an invisible disability, right? So you can be working with someone and not realize they have a disability, like my case, uh, I guess. Um, so, but the government obviously knows who's actually disabled or not, right? Yeah, they have accounts right. of it. And like, I guess they can see how it would benefit our community. And so it's uh, it's actually been really nice to live in a country where things can get done. Sometimes it takes a little longer than usual, but at least it's it's in the progress of uh, being done and at least they're listening to us, right? So I think that's right. what's so important. Nice, that's that's so good. Um, so I found you on IG. I, I can't remember what hashtag I use. <laughs> and I saw one of your posts and then I love your blog post, by the way, when you put in your stuff. And by the way, thank you. And and your grammar is great because I <laughs> is it really though? I feel like I have so many typos. I'm bro, that I, I post, I look back, and I'm like, oh, blind girl moments. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. let to go back, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to use like Grammarly or something because like <laughs> I I'm just at first I would make the excuse of vision is like no, nah, I, I just can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I love your 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 page and your. Instagram highlights and your blog posts and just the transparency it's such a great great post so I'm sure you hear that a lot so I just want to put it out there thank you so much it means a lot I'm trying I'm trying very very hard to be like open and just show people how it is for mostly foresighted people and the non-sighted people just to like because let's be honest media doesn't really show how the blind community is or how like broad our community is and I guess it's important for people to realize just so people are aware that like oh shit a blind person can do this blind person can look like this a blind person can do these things or this how we should react around them or this you know just to like because if if it at least helps one person that person can tell someone else and it's just like a domino effect like I don't I don't honestly like I use IG because I feel like it's such a great platform. I feel like more and more people from the visually impaired community are on there now. And I also just, I just want to connect with our community because in the beginning, like I didn't really know anyone in our community. And I honestly don't care about the numbers. I really don't. It's just to be able to like spread awareness for me has been great. And just the amount of people who have come up and just kind of been like oh I had no idea I'm so sorry like I've known you for x amount of years and I didn't realize like I'm sorry if I ever offended you like just the fact that if a post can even make someone think back and be like oh shit what if I did say something wrong and then from there it's kind of like a behavioral change or for them to even stop themselves if they ever find themselves saying something that can be insensitive right so it's just I take it day by day I for the most part it's just I also like connecting with other visually impaired people. So that's kind of why I also do it. So like, just, I just like being honest, I guess, and just being open about it. And it's for someone else to also read it and be like, okay, like I'm not alone. Like I'm not crazy for feeling this way. So it's been nice. Honestly, it's been nice to connect. Like, look at us. Like we connected because I spoke about something, right? So it's, it's a great way to come like connect with our own community. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, and that's why I'm so grateful for the podcast because, um, I've always felt alone in this mm -hmm. journey and I, and this is before social media. And even if I did find people who had a vision impairment older, I couldn't find like a role model. Yes. And if I did find someone who had a vision impairment disabled, 
they, I hate to say it, but they weren't very optimistic people yes. to look at. They weren't. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and I really struggled with male figures in my life. I was, I have my dad and he's great. He's definitely a great individual, but unfortunately he wasn't, uh, the role model that I needed. So, so like it was, I was, my mom was technically my mom and my grandmother, my aunt were, you know, my anchors, mm -hmm. but like, but in, in the disabled world, I, I don't know. I felt really alone. So, mm -hmm. and like you said, it's, it's the fact that you put it out there. Oh shit. She has a cool page and she talks about all this cool stuff and she's more photogenic than I am. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so like, you know, let me reach out to her right quick. And yeah. And, and it's, and, and it's great. And then what's great. You probably hear it too. I'm starting to hear it now where people are maybe a little bit younger than me. They're saying, this is really nice. I mm -hmm. didn't know I can do this. And and I feel the same way. Thank you for sharing this. And it's really mm -hmm. nice to hear that. Yeah, like I remember what hit me so hard made me want to focus on being so open. And I went to a conference and uh, there was like young adults, there was parents who had kids with yeah, vision loss. And so I was talking to the parents and I had spoken that day. And so the parents had come up to talk to me and their son must have been like five or six. And right. uh, he had a degenerative uh, eye disease. And so the parents were talking and so like, I introduced him. Um, myself to him and I told him like oh this is what I do blah, blah blah and he literally looked at his parents and he said oh I can grow up and have a job mm, and I was like wow. he's six years old wow. six or five and to think that already in his head he thought that he couldn't have a job that's, you're six, that's you're six yeah. you know like yeah. and that's the age where you're like people ask you like what do you want to be when you grow yeah. up and in his head it was like well I don't know like I don't even know if I can be anything so to me, I was like, me sharing my story helped a six-year-old realize that he can have a job, that he can have dreams to be whatever he wants to be. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be open. I don't care. Like if that rubs, not that it rubs the wrong way. If so, if me being open means that like someone thinks like, okay, like I'm not going to date her or I'm not going to hire her or whatever. So be it. Like, I don't want to be a part of, I don't want my, like to be a part of your life or you to be a part of my life. So that's fine. But knowing that I can help people is far more greater than me impressing a guy or an employer. So. A hundred percent. So let me start with what's, what's your current eye condition that you're now uh, represent yourself now as a person with vision impairment. So I have retinitis pigmentosa. So that is basically a degenerative eye disease uh, that is progressive and it can the speed of progression really depends on what gene of yours is mutated. Uh, in my case, we still haven't figured out which gene it is. I think they've tested like 289 against mine and none of them match. So we're still trying to figure out how I have RP. Um, but for me, I got diagnosed at 21 and that was by fluke. It's not like I saw symptoms or had trouble seeing is just I switched doctors for a regular eye checkup and it was he was a sweet old man and he literally was like okay I took a picture of retina I'm a little concerned let me know when you see the pen so like he started from the outside on the side right so I'm like sitting there I'm like uh, you know you can start he's like I did and I literally only noticed the pen when I was like in front of my face <laughs> he's like okay so he's like I think you have RP and he's like and he he was a very older man he's been in the in the industry for a very long time and he's like shiny I think you're the first person I'm diagnosing with RP mm -hmm. and he's like I'm gonna send you to a specialist because he couldn't 
So for me at that point, I got diagnosed at 21 and I was like, holy shit, my life makes sense because as a child, I was quite clumsy and my mom used to be like, shiny, can you just look at the floor while you walk? Because like now it makes sense, right? Like if I was looking up and walking, I, I, cause of the loss of peripheral vision, I technically didn't see the ground, but I just thought like what human can see the ground as they're looking up. Like to me, that made sense. Like if you're looking at a focal point, why should you be able to see anything else? Right. I never questioned it. Like no one around me spoke about that. And none of my eye doctors ever said anything was wrong. So I didn't think any was anything was wrong. And then also like, I remember trick or treating as like, okay, I'm not going to say a child, maybe a teenager. (laughs) Um, I was going to say you're trick or treating at 22, 23. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, as like a teenager, maybe like 16, 17, because I have a younger brother who's like nine years younger than me. So I used him as an excuse and we still go trick or treating. Okay. And uh, I remember like being like, oh my God, these people need to put like brighter lights. Like, how can anyone see in this dark? And I, I see kids running up and down the stairs to get the chocolate. And I'm like, how are these kids doing it? I'm like, like, I guess I just can't see as much in the dark you know but then it turns out it's because I have RP that I I lost my nighttime vision so that's why I was having trouble seeing in the dark and my eyes weren't adjusting so like I've I guess I've slowly started losing vision and I just didn't realize but at 21 you get diagnosed with it and you're like oh shit all this makes sense and then as you get older I guess with like hormone changes and like I guess when you do find out, it's a lot more stress on your body too. So uh, right now, like I lost uh, quite a bit of my peripheral vision and nighttime vision is a little, it, it's pretty much gone. Like it takes me a very long time for my eyes to adjust if I'm in the dark. Um, yeah, so I don't drive. I'm class- legally classified as someone with a disability and I'm legally blind. And yeah, and like recently, this is not related to my RP, but uh, last year I found out that I had a hole in my right eye. So that was fun. And I found out like two days before our city went into lockdown for COVID. So like none of the new specialists were taking new patients because it was COVID. So I needed emergency eye surgery, found out in March. And because of COVID and everything, I was only able to have it in October. And the first surgery did not work. Uh, they weren't able to fill the hole because they, we knew it was, a, it, was, it was a 50-50 chance just because I have RP. Um, so it didn't, it didn't work. So then they tried a new method, which is basically taking a piece of an amniotic membrane. So it's basically a piece of an umbilical cord. And they put it, they patched the hole with the umbilical cord. So because there's stem cells in the umbilical cord, they kind of adhere to where they're put and kind of the cells kind of regrow because the stem cells kind of mimic the cells that are in your eyes. So it's pretty cool. So I got that put in my eye. So right now I have a piece of an umbilical cord in my right eye that is filling the hole. So the whole goal was to fill the hole so I don't get a retinal detachment. So at least that part of my like scare is gone and now because I have RP I didn't really gain back any uh vision that I lost with the hole but since I am a guinea pig with this new procedure we're kind of waiting to see like maybe it'll just take longer for someone with RP to gain back like the central vision that we lost uh because of that so I guess I'll keep you guys posted on like how that goes and if like the stem cells actually help us gain back any vision so it's, it's exciting to be a part of a research that can help others. So 
looking forward to it and seeing how the results are. So I go in like every three, four months, get a CT scan, which they look into my eye to see how it's going. And I do a bunch of vision tests to see if any vision was uh, like reversed back or not. Mm. Yeah. Let, let me, um, let me backtrack. You said so many good things there. <laughs> so you went for <laughs> talk to like everything from trick or treating. <laughs> I know it's a loaded answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so hold up. So let me break, let me break it up a bit. So when did you feel like you noticed that? Oh, I don't see that well at night. Was it when you were trick or treating with your brother? Was that the first time? Honestly, at, like, at those moments I used to say like, Oh my God, like people need to put like better lighting here. Like it's so right. dark. And like, but to me, it, it, I didn't even think it was an issue because like I was getting my eyes checked every year because I wore glasses right so like yeah. no one ever said anything and also in my head it was like oh it's nighttime like why would I even be able to see like our eyes are there's no lights in our eyes to be able to see it's, just, it's dark so like people should take it upon themselves to add more lighting in the streets you know like I didn't I never thought that it was my eyes that were the problem Mm-hmm. because like no one talks about like RP like I'm sorry I never knew RP existed till I got diagnosed mm-hmm. yeah me neither I didn't know about it until I me- started meeting people yeah so it's like it's crazy like even at a do- like an eye doctor's office like they have all these pamphlets about like cataracts and glaucoma but like RP is not there you know what I mean so it's like I never even saw the word heard the word at all so like and no one around me had ever heard about it too. So it's not like anyone could have been like, oh, that you have that symptom. Maybe it's that. Now, if someone's talking to me and tells me like, yeah, sometimes like I have trouble seeing in the night and like, I feel like I, things like scare me because things pop up, then I'll be like, okay, maybe you have RP because we're aware of it, you know? But before mm-hmm. no one around me had ever heard about it. So no one was ever able to say like, oh, maybe you have this. And like my doctor, I was the first person he ever diagnosed with RP and he had been in the industry for like 30, 40 years. So like, even for him, it was something that like he didn't really know about. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's like, so yeah, that's when I noticed, but like, I didn't think of it as anything. I just was like, okay, this neighborhood sucks with their lighting. Like maybe they should pay more taxes. And I I went on with my day, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, that's why I, there wasn't much, when I got diagnosed and I Googled RP, nothing really came up except it, one article. Like I think WebMD was like, leads to blindness. And blindness, I was like, that's, yeah. I'm like, that's bullshit. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. I have met people who are 60, like 40, whatever. And they still have vision. They're still doing stuff. I have a friend who has a cooking show, like, you know, and she has RP. Like, and it's like, it's crazy what the internet was was back like 10 years ago right so like I, I remember I came home I got diagnosed and the first thing I did was google RP because he's telling you in the office you're like okay yeah okay and then you come home and you're like let me google this and I googled it and it was probably the biggest mistake I ever did but like it was scary because there was no positive news there were, like you said there was no role models there was nothing you go on Instagram you you search uh, retinitis pigmentosa nothing came up and like if I did find something it was just basically people saying like I got diagnosed like support groups and there's nothing you can do like what am I supposed to do with my life like you know I feel like I shouldn't do anything and it was just very like I, I found myself in a very dark hole very quickly because it was there was no positivity around it at all 10 years ago and that was just really discouraging. And I think that demotivated me in a weird way because I was just like, well, okay, I guess there's nothing I can do about any of this. Like it's, that's just 
my life when I literally thought that for like the first two years, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, so let me ask, so when you were, so you, you go to 21, you see this doctor and what were you doing at the time? Were you still in school? So I had graduated and just started working in my field. And I'm like, oh, I'm 21. I'm working as an accountant. Like, I'm going to start saving up money. Like, I thought my life was set. I was like, I'm done school. I'm working. Like, I I just, got, like, I was uh, learning uh, driving. And I was just like, you know, like, life is, like, building up, you know? Like, I worked so hard during school. I was a nerd. And, like, everything's paying off. I can actually start living my life now. And then you get diagnosed. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, like I was like, yeah, at 21, you're that age where like you think you're invincible, you think you're an adult. And now I look back and I'm like, I was not an adult. <laughs> I was not even prepared. <laughs> no, I was not prepared for anything. But you think at 21 because you're legal everywhere, yeah. that like it means something that you're older, that you're an adult, but like I was a child. But in that moment, I thought I had before I got diagnosed, I was literally thought I was like my golden years, I was gonna get so much shit done, I was gonna save up money, get property you know I literally thought like my life was just it was just like a stepping stone to get all these like things that like a checklist is supposed to be done according to how we were raised in our community right so it was a huge okay back then I thought it was a detour now it will say it was a huge stepping stone getting diagnosed so mm-hmm. my perspective has definitely changed from when mm-hmm. I got diagnosed yeah absolutely um so let, let me let me go back in that time for a minute. Okay. 21, get diagnosed. Were, did you go to the eye doctor with family or friends or your sister? No, I went. It was just like a regular eye checkup, right? So like I went by myself. I actually had the eye appointment right before my like permit driving test. So he tells me this and I'm like, uh, I have my driver's like permit test right now after this. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you can go do it if like for yourself thing that you just want to pass and say like yeah I, I passed but he's like right. if you have rp and it is what how bad i think it is like you're not going to be able to drive and i'm like stubborn and i was like i'm gonna go do this test <laughs> <laughs> but I, I passed but then i went say i officially got diagnosed in, i got di- saw that doctor in february i officially got diagnosed in march uh and that's when i lost all my driving privileges and i was like mm-hmm. at least i know i passed <laughs> <laughs> you felt good. I did it. Yeah. So yeah. So it was just like I didn't go with family. So I went by myself, and mm-hmm. I didn't tell my family. Like I didn't tell my parents mm-hmm. uh, for about six months because I didn't even know what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And also because I'm from a South Asian community, and like our parents are already growing up very like protective of us and very like sheltering. So I was like, I'm 21 and I just started working, and like it's now that I'm allowed to do things, and they can't be like, oh, you need to study, you just stay home. Like I'm I'm working, I have nothing to do, I can do things. And also like I wanted to figure out what the hell I was dealing with, and I didn't want to scare my parents if it wasn't as bad as I thought I was reading on the internet, right? So it took me about six months to tell them and they are six months yeah took me about a while because i okay so i'm from a south asian community and the south asian community does not do well with illness and disability especially if you're a female so a little background about our community is like it uh, basically the girls are meant to be like a trophy piece in the sense of like we're supposed to be this amazing female figure that someone's son 
can marry and like so we can take care of them right so you can't be like so this is like i'm dating back to how old school it goes it like basically like you can't be like too outspoken you shouldn't talk back like you shouldn't argue like technically you shouldn't drink like you shouldn't do all these things and like you should be proper prim and proper right and I don't know, like, if you've ever watched any, like, Bollywood movies or any, like, brown movies, but, like, uh, arranged marriage is, like, a huge thing uh, in our community, like, back in the days. It doesn't really happen as much now, but, like, our parents' time, it does. So, basically, how it happens is, like, people kind of, like, word of mouth will be, like, oh, I have a daughter or I have a son, and then they'll kind of... the the male side will come over to the, the, the girl side's family. And that's kind of like the first time that he sees the girl and the girl sees him. And they kind of like see if they want anything to happen. And so what they do is they make the girl come out and bring out coffee like on a tray and serve it to the groom's side. In my head, I thought when I was younger, I used to think that was because they wanted to see if she can make tea or if she's able to like do stuff in the kitchen. But to be honest, she doesn't even make the coffee for the most part. It's usually like the older women of the house who do it. But then later I found out why they even do that. So by seeing a girl come out carrying a tray of coffee and like making eye contact and like serving is for them to see that she's physically able to do stuff and that she does not have any illnesses or disabilities. That hit me so hard. I was like, are you kidding me? But like the guy is sitting. So like no one evaluates the man at all. Yeah. What if the guy's like in a wheelchair and then you still have to do that? Honestly, disability within a man is not as frowned upon as women because our culture is very that like the woman has to take care of her husband anyway. Mm. So like she's fully able to do stuff. So if, if even if he gets sick or something happens, like what the male's parents look for is a woman who can take care of their son because a lot of the times the sons are raised in a way that they know that whoever he marries will be able to take care of the household chores, uh, cook, clean, take care of him if he gets sick. But no one ever looks at the woman and says like, well, if she gets sick, is he going to be able to do anything? Mm -hmm. Right. And it sucks because like, in my case, okay, my disability, I found out way before, like, I even get married, like, I'm not married yet, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, I found out before, but, like, what happens if something happens later? And, like, what makes me so upset is that there's so many different minority groups, right? And there's, and I feel a disabled minority group can happen to anyone at any time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you can be a fully abled person, but then something can happen, an accident or something, and you can become disabled. So for people to discriminate against people with disabilities, I think it's such a piece of shit move because, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you don't know. That's one minority group that can happen to you at any time of your life. So it's like these people that basically say like oh yeah your, your daughter has a disability like how is she like will she even be able to take care of my son like what if she does go completely blind like she's not going to be able to do that so who's going to take care of my son but at the same time it's like well can your son not take care of himself mm -hmm. you know what I mean but I can fully like I live on my own with my sister I moved out because I also want to show my parents like because my parents are like, oh, we're getting older, you know, like, we, we like, you know, something happens to us, at least for us to know you're married and you're taken care of. But I, I moved out because I wanted my parents to see like, I'm able to take care of myself, I'm able to work, I'm able to pay for a mortgage, I'm able to cook for myself, clean, do everything. And I don't need a man to do it. Right. But 
and it's funny because like even like when I go out on dates and stuff I'm like I bring it up. I'm very open about my disability I'm it's on my dating apps I pretty much say it before I even meet the person because I don't want to waste my time I don't want to waste your time and I recently had someone say like oh yeah like you know like uh, I had told my parents that you have a visual impairment like you know my mom actually asked like oh like it's like he's like in the back of my mom's head I can tell she was wondering like oh is she gonna be able to take care of you really we're in 2021 like that's a question like so it's like our culture is very sheltered in that sense so that's why like I wanted to make sure before I told my parents and my parents and I know they did it to protect me they're just like okay just don't tell anyone because they were they knew people would talk talk shit talk badly and my I don't I know my parents didn't want me to hear it or for it to get back to me so we didn't say anything I think my parents knew and um uh, like two or three of my closest friends who I always spent time with knew um and I was I started a cake business so none of my clients knew I I was still making cakes Uh, I did and that was another thing I didn't want my clients to be like oh well she's blind I don't want to order cakes from her she's gonna fuck it up you know so, you know, like, imagine they're going to be like, why would no, I, 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 know, I, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I get, no, like, I, I feel you. I get where they're coming from, but like, I know I can do the job, but right. I didn't want to explain myself. So I'm just like, I'm just not going to say it. Mm-hmm. And I was also dancing competitively. So no one on my team knew. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that like, I think a part of me was doing a lot of things to make it impossible for people to realize that I was blind because like I did I kept myself busy I started working at Sephora like I was working I was doing so many things that like in a way that people would have never thought that I was visually impaired and maybe that wasn't the healthiest thing but it also kind of helped people see that like you could be visually impaired and do all these things it doesn't just limit you like how the media makes it seem like we can't do anything that we just sit there and people take care of us and we can't even dress ourselves apparently, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Let me, let me go back. I can <laughs> tell you, re- you're really passionate about this and I'm trying to take notes and, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go on memory here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. And I appreciate it. So this is uh, like, I, I completely understand. Well, let, let, let me, let me retract that. I understand up to the point of, your culture and the marriage. And that's what I really wanted to ask you about Mm -hmm. in a minute. I do have a friend here in Miami. If you ever do come, she's Mm -hmm. Indian. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know this. I don't know. I don't know if she's first generation born here or or what. I don't know. Mm -hmm. All I know is that she's a prosecutor here. And, and, and you telling me all this stuff about like bringing tea, this woman would not fucking do that shit. That's that's what I you can know what, though, for sure. A lot of women these days would probably throw the tea on you. Yeah. And be like, fuck this- you. Like, you know, a lot of people, that's very like old school. I don't, I don't think anyone does that anymore. But the fact that it stemmed down as a way to see if a girl was able body. Yeah. yeah. All I know is so that, wrong. that my friend, her name is Sonali. All okay. I know is she would fucking throw that shit in your face. Like she th- yeah. deals with like murderers and everything. And like, I just don't see this woman being obedient to a guy. No. Like- <laughs> and I think that's the problem these days too. Like all of us, so many of us are so motivated. We're so like determined and ambitious these days that we don't put up with this bullshit. Like we're very able to do our own things. And I think that's been another issue to find someone who isn't 
I guess, intimidated by how we are or doesn't, who can actually stand up for us and not like listen to their moms and be like, oh yeah, never mind. I won't, I won't marry someone like that. Right. Like that was my issue. Like uh, someone that I was with basically was like, well, I don't know how to tell my parents that you have a disability. So this, this can't move on. So, because he, so I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so it's, it's basically the, the guy you're seeing could definitely be okay with it, but then they're scared to have that conversation with their parents. Right. So it's like a cultural degeneration issue that a lot of people in our generation are scared to have that conversation with their parents. So they just don't want that conflict. So they just, they don't even bother to fight for it. They kind of just run from it and yeah, don't yeah. deal with it. Let me go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, because a lot of things you're saying, I'm like, I'm blown away. I'm angry. I'm like, I can't believe this. We're in 2021. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I don't want to talk shit about like culture or, or anything, but I, I do have to say that in any culture or any country, it is kind of fucked up where you shun people out because of disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I'm from Honduras in Central mm-hmm. America, and I went to go visit my aunt. And she's like uh, a traveling nun, basically. Okay. Right? She's, she's traveled the world. Uh, ba- uh, on behalf of the Catholic Church, uh, just doing great things. And in this particular time, she was in charge of this like this retreat where churches would go and have like this like retreat. It was so gorgeous. I've never ate so many guavas in <laughs> one week because they had guavas everywhere. Yeah. And I lived with like four nuns. <laughs> oh my god! So they just took care of you like a king. Oh, okay. it was it was yeah. great. It was great. I mean, all they did was. All they did was they just made their breakfast and they just just so happens to make me another plate. And I sat there and I and I took care of whatever they needed help with. And, and it was it was great. It was great. Mm-hmm. Cell phones didn't work. Laptops didn't work. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And when when they didn't have churches coming. They would volunteer their time locally in this okay. rural area in Honduras. Right. And then one of this particular day, my aunt says, Hey, I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go give a, like a speech or, you know, her, 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 her prayer stuff. Mm -hmm. You want to come with like, all right, let's do it. And then we go. And then there's two other volunteers, two other women local from the local area. And they see me and then we go. And so it's like this really rural place. I think any minute now, this truck is going to flip over and die. And there's no, there's no way of calling anyone. Because like we're going up these hills and then we finally get there and it's called like Casa Sulema. And it's this lady out of her own dime and her own efforts made this kind of like, um, what do you call it when, when people die, when people are ready to go die? Um, um, not a retirement home, but like, you know, people are going to go die. I forget what Uh, it's called. I know. Like, it's like, uh, not a safe home. Oh, what is it called? Basically, when they themselves know, like, it's going to be like their last few days and they kind of, yeah, yeah, I don't know what the name of that is, but I know what you mean. Yeah. So. So basically, this place that she built um, is for people with HIV and AIDS. Okay. So we go, and there's different people, like different women, Mm -hmm. men, people you would not have expect, really horrible stories. So boom, we're there. And then my my aunt does a whole speech, and then she goes, "Eh, eh, eh, amor, she goes, you know, my love, whatever. She's saying, I'm going to leave. And I'll see you when I come back. And I'm like in the middle here. 
right? I'm like literally in the middle. Like I would have to like, like get up and whatever. It was almost inconvenient for me to get up and leave. But mm-hmm. you're just like, you know what? I'll stay here. Mm-hmm. I'll just stay here and chat. And, and, and then I can tell the body language from some of the people I was talking to, they were kind of surprised that I was there. And I was there. And then we're talking, chatting, like I'm chatting with you. And like, mm-hmm. it's no big fucking deal. We're just talking mm-hmm. shit. And then towards the end of the day, I meet the owner and she goes, I really appreciate you for, for staying. Why? Because uh, even the volunteers that came with my aunt who are with her on the reg, they left. <laughs> oh. and, and then they're like, the fact that you stayed there and you talked to them, what, it's a huge deal because all these people have been shunned out from their family. They've been kicked mm-hmm. out. They were not allowed to come back home. They all have HIV or AIDS. They all lived a promiscuous life. Or It's not even that. Not even a promiscuous life. There's some people who were raped and then just had Yeah, AIDS, exactly. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, and then she was telling me, um, she tried to get uh, government funding and they sent her a letter. And, and this is this is for my own country. And, and, and I talk shit about my country too. And they <laughs> even sent her a letter like saying, honestly, these people are not even worth sending money because they're going to die anyway. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah, it's so fucked up. So, so I, I really have to call out all the, you know, all the, you know, like, I don't understand, like, like, just because you're right, because disability can happen at any age, any right? age, any time, like any time. So it sucks that that people treat you as, I don't know, if either a second or third class citizen because of it. Because mm-hmm. they assume we, we, we're going to be useless or we can't do anything. Right. So it's like, but it's, to me, it's like, I think it's, it's why it's been such a stigma is because no one talks about it. even people like our parents generation who did have any disability they literally just shut themselves out didn't expose them to the world didn't talk about it their families wouldn't talk about them or bring them to any events and it's like no one was ever exposed to anything right because the people who did have a disability or an illness they themselves kind of took themselves out of the equation or the community or whatnot because they felt like if they did expose themselves it would cause more harm to themselves or their families or their parents' reputation. And no one ever was exposed or spoke about it. And I remember like when I decided in 2015 to speak up about it, my parents were like, are you actually, no, I didn't tell my parents. I kind of released the the story article and someone, (laughs) some auntie (laughs) read it. I didn't realize the story was going to go viral. Yeah. So I didn't realize the story was going to go viral. I just, I wanted it to be a way for me to open up with all my like clients, my dance team, my friends. I didn't want to have a one-on-one conversation because I'm a very emotional person. And apparently when I talk about this, that I end up crying, I didn't want to cry to everyone. So I was like, you know what? I just want to put it pen to paper and write about my last four years of being diagnosed with this and how it's been living in a South Asian community with a disability and how I've gone through a horrible time because I had to hide it. So I released the story and I guess it, it, it got passed around on Facebook and some auntie saw it and like I was working a double shift that day so I turned on my phone after I was done my shift at Sephora and my sister messaged me and she's like yeah by the way uh you've kind of forgot to tell mom that you're releasing this story today I'm like yeah I didn't realize it would be a huge thing she goes yeah someone already called mom and asked and I was like great so like someone already called and like asked about it in like a in a bad narrative that my mom felt like someone was kind of like, Oh, I didn't realize your daughter was sick. The way they say it, like, I didn't realize your daughter was sick. And my mom was like, well, she's not sick. She has a visual impairment, but she's dealing with it. Like, you know what I mean? So like, it's like, 
people weren't, my parents were very protective in the sense they didn't want people to say those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So, but me opening up that day in 2015, the amount of people that inboxed me and said like, shiny, like I have this disability or I have this illness, but I don't talk about it. I try to hide it as much as I can because I know people in our community are just going to look at me as baggage and no one's ever going to look my way. And so I, my parents told me to hide it as well. So we just don't talk about it. And there were so, and most of them were female because our community shits on women who have quote unquote baggage. And it sucks because no one ever talks about men and what they're going through. Cause apparently it's, it's okay because their wives will take care of it. So it's like, it was just really like our community. It's, I think it's all stemmed down to not having any awareness or anyone talking about it that it got normalized now I feel like I have to give credit where it's due though like our community is getting better like people are more and more people are talking about it there's being movies made about people with HIV and stuff and like how they're they're they shouldn't be shunned and how you know, they need the help that they need and they even made a movie about how someone literally got HIV because like she was on the side of the road and there was a glass that cut her. And like, so basically, but the community had shunned her out thinking she was living a, a promiscuous life, but it was because she was on the side of a road and got cut, you know? So they are doing things to bring awareness. Uh, the work is being done, but like, I just wish it had been done sooner. Right. And like, I wish there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of things for our community to unlearn and learn and like accept people for the way they are. And, the, and it sucks because people being quiet meant some of their kids didn't get the help that they needed because they didn't talk about it. So they couldn't get the resources that they needed. So like there's families who had kids with autism, but they didn't talk to people about it. So no one was able to give them like centers or resources or help that their kid could have got they just kept them at home and they didn't get the help they needed so they couldn't excel the way that they should have so like I just mm -hmm. wish going forward people be okay to talk about these things and go out and get help and put their kids and get let them get the help that they need because they can excel it's just we just need to find our own way to do it right so like and kids at a young age need their parents to do that for them so I think it's really important to, to keep talking about it so people, quote unquote, normalize it so people don't feel like they have to hide it if something happens, you know? So there's a lot of work to be done, but it's getting there day by day. Nice. <laughs> so there's a few observations and, and you got to understand, you know, I'm, I'm just going off of <laughs> what I'm hearing from you and I'm just- Yes, of course. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm one of those people like, I'm intelligently ignorant, right? I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know mm -hmm. what I can't do. And I just fucking do it. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's just crazy that, that you couldn't tell your parents because, because it's like, it's like, it's not your fault. You know, I yeah. would understand like if you got pregnant or if mm -hmm. you, you did some fucked up shit or, or I don't know, uh, you, you know, you were selling drugs or something and, yeah. or you got arrested or I don't mm -hmm. know, like that would make sense. I would not want to tell my mom because my mom, even to this day, I'm a grown ass man. She would probably still beat the shit out of me. Yep. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, but the fact that, that you couldn't tell you like, look, I'm really sorry. I have not even sorry. It's like, I have this, you know, et cetera, but that's just crazy that it took you six months and, but not even out of your own, um, uh, it didn't. It wasn't. It didn't happen the way uh, you wanted to happen. 
so so I'm kind of curious what would say that you went to your parents a week later hey I went to the doctor I have this diagnosis Mm -hmm. they would blame you for this honestly my parents were very supportive I think my parents didn't blame me it's more like parents were scared of how the community was gonna react so they wanted to protect me from people saying bad things like even like their own like close family because it's something that our, our culture looks frowns upon, right? So our like worries about our uh, automatically puts a negative notion again. So my parents were very like, we just, we won't talk about it. We won't tell people about it because we don't want people to put negativity in our life when we're still trying to figure out what this is, right? So that's why I didn't want to tell my parents right away because I want to get as much information about this as possible. Because so, I know as soon as I tell them, they were going to ask me 10 million questions that I wouldn't even have the answers to. Right. So, so let me understand. So, all right. So it, it really, it really was the negativity. Like what kind of negative, like what kind of shit talking would people say? That they didn't oh, like, oh, like she's sick. Like, oh, like that means like she can't do anything anymore. Like, oh, like why so she's not gonna be able to work. A lot of the things I was, okay. So I was 21. That's like prime age in our culture to get married. Right. I was already getting 10 million wedding proposals calls at our house of random people asking my parents like oh we heard your daughter's done school she's 21 and she's working like well we we know someone or we have a son blah 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 and my parents kept saying no like she's 21 she just came out of school she's working whatever but then like obviously then afterwards I got diagnosed that was kind of a way for my parents to keep saying like no 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 but funny enough as soon as my article came out in like 2015 the marriage proposal stopped because people found out that I had a disability. So my parents knew that like, once people found out, people would just talk negatively about me, like in the sense that people would just kind of gossip and be like, oh, you know, like this person's daughter, did you hear? Like she has a disability, like she's not gonna be able to see. And like, people would actually like add on bullshit to it. Like, you know what I mean? Like they would make it sound worse than it was. And like, unfortunately our community is known for talking crap and like people just going from one place to another and just adding on to the story and making it sound worse than it is and my parents really didn't want a name for me that wasn't even true right and like we were still trying to figure out what the hell I was dealing with at that point too right so it's like I think for my parents now that I'm older I kind of understand why they were so protective about it because they knew how shitty our community can be Mm, and how like to at 21 how that could have that could have added on to all the crap that I was going through. So I'm kind of happy I didn't talk about it, but at the same time, I wish there was a safe zone that we can just like openly talk about it and not have to worry about all this stuff, all this noise that you have to hear. So, okay. So it really was, so they were supportive. They just didn't want people gossiping. I don't know. Like, like to me, that's so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. because like like i love people talking shit about me because at least they're talking about me you know? <laughs> <laughs> at least you know and like grant like there's a a guy an author that i like grant cardone is like all i need is half the country to talk about me or hate me and i've become president <laughs> and <laughs> and because i i i don't know like i really don't put too much thought into mm-hmm. what people say about me yeah and um for example uh, a few months ago a friend it was his birthday party and he has a friend that I really don't really care for. And it was uh, a birthday party. And there was like eight of us there. And I was talking and, and then she said a comment I didn't like. And I said, well, I'm fucking loud. I don't give a fuck. And then um, 
And, and I said, look, statistically speaking, there's eight, there's eight people, there's seven people here. Four of you are not going to like me. And I don't give a fuck. You mm-hmm. know, that's just the end of it. And, and that's just the way I am, you know? So, so that's why, like, I have a hard connect. I have a hard time connecting with if people gossiping. Like, I yeah. don't know. Like, I you just know, don't honestly, care. now I don't give a shit. Say whatever the hell you want about me. Like, I know who I am. I'm pretty capable of doing stuff. If you're going to talk shit about me, go for it. But I think at that age, I think my parents, I, and I get it because already without people knowing, I was already like internally going through a lot of stuff. I was in a very dark place. I was trying to figure out, like, I literally thought like my career was starting off, but then like you get diagnosed and you kind of think like, oh shit, like, am I even going to be able to excel in my career? Like what's going to happen? Like, am I going to be supported? You have all these questions. And like we said, like 10 years ago, there weren't that many resources, that much people to look up to, to ask for a mentorship. There wasn't anything. So you were kind of alone and trying to figure this out. And then being put in a culture where no one talks about disability. And then my parents being like, how do we navigate this? How do we give her the support she needs without hurting her? You know, so it was like a huge thing for our entire family. And I'm the oldest. And I'm also like, the my dad's one of the older brothers. So I'm the like oldest cousin too. So like, it was just a lot of, not pressure, but it was a learning curve on us. And we didn't have a lot of people to fall back on. And so that's what took us a while. But then as soon as I like opened up and I was like, I don't give a shit. Because what made me open up is also like one of my close friends ended up getting cancer and like, even that, like it, when she needed to get, we need to find a bone marrow trans, like a donor. We initially did it in a way without exposing who she was and no one was really responding. And then she was like, well, I don't really want people to know that I have cancer. She goes, you know how our community is. And then I was like, yeah, but like, maybe if they know who it is, they'll have a connection. It'll be more likely to like donate. And it sucked that we had to, to say that for people to be like, oh shit, maybe I should help someone in our community. But then that's when she was like, Shiny, you should start talking about it because it sucks that in our community that we get sick or we have a disability and we feel like we shouldn't talk about it because someone's going to say something or someone's going to look look at us as if we're like not as worthy. Yeah, essential. You know, so that's why I was like, fuck this. Like, you know what? The fact that we had to like say who she was in order to get our community's help it was pissed the kind of annoyed me and then I was like you know what I'm just gonna start talking about it because at this point whoever is gonna support me is gonna support me whoever doesn't then it was nice knowing you um and I, I need to help other people I need to be a voice for people who are either newly getting diagnosed or still are going to go through what I went through at 21 and so that's when I I released the story and honestly I'm really happy I did because it opened doors for me. I I was able to connect with the Fighting Blindness Canada who supported me, gave me the platform to use my voice to help others and like mentor people. And like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And that's exactly what I wanted when I got diagnosed. Someone to help me, someone to tell me their experiences, someone to tell me like, you're going to feel this way, but trust me, it will get better. Because I wish I had that. Maybe the first four years of being diagnosed wouldn't have been such a shit show had I had that support or that person to look up and be like, oh shit, she still has her shit together, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think our community is doing, there's more and more people talking up about mental health and stuff in our community. And I'm so grateful for that because the more people that talk about these things, the more that you can normalize it and people don't feel like they have to hide it. And I think out of 
me being diagnosed, I think the hardest part was being honest about it and being yeah. like being able to feel mm-hmm. like I'm still a normal human being because nothing's really changed. I'm still the same person. It's just now I have the word, the label of being someone with a disability. Right. You know, and it's just, it was, I felt like I had to try like 10 times harder to prove to people that I'm quote unquote normal. And mm-hmm. I think it's a shitty thing to have to do as someone with a disability or a visual impairment to keep having to prove to people that, yeah, I'm, I can do things. I'm normal. <laughs> let, <laughs> no, no, I completely feel you. Let, let me yeah. share two, two, two things. Uh, the first one is uh, uh, piggybacking off of the normal. So yeah. uh, a week ago I had to do an eye exam for no particular reason, but I just wanted to do it just to see, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm at. And I go to a local optometrist here by my job. Mm-hmm. And I've never been there, never been there. And I'm like, and this is the thing, like if you put me in a, in, in a small space, I am so loud and, and obvious, you know, like <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like an, I'm just like an out person, you know, like, um, so whatever. So you can hear me or whatever. And, and then, so they do all the exams and then the doctor finally comes. It's like, D, like, yeah, how are you? I'm doing good. And he just looks at me. So, um, so how do you do it? How do I do what, man? I like, like, how do you see, man? I got to pay the bills, man. Like, what do you think, bro? I just got to do what I got to do. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. And he was, I think my eyesight looks worse on paper than it does in person, you know, because I think it just astonishes people. And, and he was just so curious about me. Because I have toxoplasmosis where I have uh, scars in my retina. So it's like uh, it, it could activate again where it would deteriorate the retina or not. I hope it doesn't, okay. but, it, yeah. but there, that could happen. And, um, and, and then, and so it's just so funny because like, you know, like, so what do you do? Oh, I do this and that. And, oh, I'm going to ask you about your work. And, and then we'll talk about work for a minute. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just like blown away. What do you use? Oh, I use a Mac. And what do you, what about a phone? You use a magnifier? You just forget it, bro. Like I was just like an alien to this guy who's a mm. professional optometrist. And you would think someone in optometry would be a bit more aware. Right. Right. The other Crazy. thing is the contrast in relationships. Mm-hmm. So remember a few, when we started talking, I sent you a profile of um, Frank, Frank mm-hmm. Castle. Mm-hmm. Frank Castle. I forget his name. Paul Castle who has RP, mm-hmm. he has a husband, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about relationships and we were talking about movies and he talks about, I can't do subtitles because I can't see it. Like, oh, yeah, I can't do subtitles either. Like if it's like a foreign movie with subtitles, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm, I'm fucked. But then he tells me, and this goes back to your thing and well, I'm going to get back to it about relationships and accommodations and stuff. Yeah. His husband, it took him three days or two days to watch the movie because his husband read out the whole movie to him. <laughs> oh my god that's amazing so it's like it's not so much that that you have a disability this is my opinion it's not so much that you have a disability it's really about are you in are you are am i being in am i being inconvenienced my mm-hmm. life because yes. you have a disability because that's really yeah. what it is yeah yeah you know and that's like the contrast so so like you know like and I honestly, I hate to say it, but 
you probably know this already, but I think it's kind of selfish. All these families and all these guys you're dating, like, but what about me if I get hurt? Bitch, like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? What if I get hurt? <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, if you're in a relationship, like, you know, how death to death to us part sickness, you know, if I didn't have RP and I had ended up marrying one of those guys that said, oh, yeah, I can't deal with the disability because I can't tell my parents. Let's say I didn't have this and we got married and God forbid I got sick later with, I don't know, something else. Well, you're telling me you would have just got up and left? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, in a weird way, we have an extra filter to filter out all the assholes in our life, which I'm so grateful yeah, for. Yeah, 100%. But not to say that it doesn't it doesn't suck when it does happen, but later on you bounce back and you're like, good, I dodged a great bullet, you know? But it's like, like you said, it's I guess it's it's about meeting the person that completely understands us and sees past our disability, you know? Yeah. And I think that comes into play with your career, your employer, your friends, your partner. In in general, I think we just want everyone around us to see past it. Like, yeah, I'm I'm very vocal about it. I talk about it, but that's not the only thing about me. And like for you too, right? Like all of us in our community, we're a part of the visually impaired community, but that's not the only thing that represents us. We're so many, many, we're so many things and just add that we're visually impaired. Yeah. And I think um, it, it'll take some time for people to completely understand that, but I'm hoping it'll be sooner than later. I know, man. I know. Honestly, though, it's, a, I, I don't know if it's going to be an, uh, a continuous thing. Um, because, you know, for example, as accomplished Helen Keller was, mm-hmm. people still didn't understand her. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Let me go back to, I'm so curious about this because um, I listened to one of your, I, one of your IG lives you did one time. Yes, I, I think it was like last week or the week before, like one of my first ones ever. <laughs> yeah, there was one that you did. It was some. It was like a dating one. Like I think this guy has a dating service for Indian or something. Um, yes, yeah, it was on. And, um, yeah, yeah, and it was a great show, by the way. Uh, kudos to the guy. I don't know his name, uh, but but let him know what's up. And <laughs> and you you just said so many things. I just want. I was so curious to ask you about. And and by the way, I told my friend Sonali that I was having a podcast with you so i have to send this right over once it's done to her <laughs> um first of all let me understand this so you're saying at 21 you're technically at the you know according to your culture you're at the, the prime mm-hmm. uh, pr- prime age of mary age mm-hmm. and 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 then so how does how does that proposal start you said that people were sending you letters or calling so people house? call so basically they usually go through the parents so like people find out when you're done school when you start working and then they're like okay she's like 21 22 it's a great time to start approaching and asking and going through the process so people will find out through the community and they'll find out your house like your parents house number and they'll call or if my parents go to like an event people will approach them or if they go to the temple, people would approach them. No one came to me directly. It's always like people, uh, parents of the sons that go to my parents. So yeah, honestly, it's (laughs) really, really, really invasive. But anyways, (laughs) uh, but my parents were really supportive. My parents always said like, we're not going to do an arranged marriage for you because we don't want to ever be responsible. If God forbid we get you married to someone and it ends up being a shit show, like we'll feel so horrible that we had a part to play in it. We rather you find the person you fall in love with them. And if something happens, it's all on you. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, you know, so like 
and especially now, especially with me having my disability, my parents, they hear the stories of my horrible dating life and like the guys that I've come across. And so they're just kind of like, you know what? Like, we want you to find a guy, just a good guy. Like, we don't really care about religion, culture at this mm. point. It's just, mm-hmm. we want you to be with someone that like completely understands who you are and sees past that. So like my parents have come around a long way and no, for them, great. for them at the end of the day is they want their daughters and their sons to be happy. Right. So, right. So it's a work in progress, but yeah, so they, people would just call my parents or approach my parents. And sometimes I wouldn't even hear about it because my parents are like, what's the point of telling her? Cause we already said no. Right. Right. But 21, that's freaking young. They, yeah. they want, they want their sons to marry someone that can easily reproduce. That's another issue in our community too, right? Like having the woman reproduce. So they want them younger and not older. Yeah. So, yeah. Bro, I could not function at 21. Like, I honestly, I don't know. I, I like, I could have at that time, I could barely take care of myself and then much less like to have a family or some shit. Yeah, there's no way that I was making enough money to have a family, to have yeah. a, like, and looking back, I'm like, why would you want me to get married at 20? I feel like financially, whoever I married at that age, especially with someone I didn't really know, I think there would have been so much friction because we didn't know each other as well and we're young and there's so much that you grow like from 21 to 25 there's so much that happened in my life that I grew and like I wasn't in the relationships I was able to focus on myself and get the therapy that I needed like I got so much shit done and then from 25 to like 29 is where like my advocacy life really kicked in so like I'm looking back and I'm like if I had been married in that I don't know if I would be having the same life right now mm-hmm you know what I mean? Like so many different factors play into it, right? Like you have a different life, you have different responsibilities. Like, I don't know. It just, to me, 21 is way too young. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Like there, yeah. there's some growth that needs to happen mm-hmm. that you just need to experience life, I guess. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, so that's crazy. So these proposals would happen. See that to me is so funny because like, uh, me growing up, um, um, I, so I, obviously there was no structure in dating, right? I mean, there was no marriage or, or anything like that. And, and I, rem- uh, years ago, you, you'll laugh at me at this years ago, I had, I was really depressed and I was really sad. I didn't have much of a social life and I couldn't date because women, uh, in, in Miami, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be, you could be living on government income or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and living, living in the hood and you still had a car. And in here, I felt so insecure that I didn't drive that even some women would say, yeah. you know, like, like, oh, you're not a man because you don't drive. And I couldn't pick up the girl. And it was just, it was forgetting. Yeah. Like, I was really depressed. Yeah, I was talking to a friend about that. And he was like, you know, being a guy and being visually impaired, dating is kind of hard because after like, the second date, the girls expect the guy to pick you up. And he's like, but I can't. And I completely, like, I, I cannot, I never thought about that, right? Yeah, it's different. It's different, Yeah. Now, I don't know. I don't know what he did. What I did was um, um, I actually took like a dating course. <laughs> what? OK. And it was basically like a workshop in Miami Beach. And it was um, it was basically how to talk to women. That's really what it was. So just how to okay. talk to women. And so then um, and then after the it was it, it was like a boot camp, like workshop. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, we had to go to like the hotels and clubs in on Miami Beach. Okay. And, we, and they gave us like these canned openers. And they, the reason why they gave us these stupid ass canned openers was because we were so nervous. Like my palms would sweat. You don't understand. Like I would like have like armpit sweats. Like I was just so oh nervous. Yeah. 
and and the reason for these can openers so that we don't stutter or whatever so we would just say and i so so fast forward i did it for years 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 right i picked up talked to a lot of women a lot of groups been rejected i've been rejected more than three guys lifetimes i just and and um what i learned was first of all there's a lot of fucked up people out there in the world Mm -hmm. pretty ugly Mm -hmm. or pretty yeah and and I learned was like you said about the disability it was definitely a filter because mm-hmm. uh, the women that I that I ended up with were always like educated people women uh, came from a great background mostly all the time mm-hmm. right and then the ones who didn't want to deal with me they were always kind of like the shallow ones mm-hmm. and and then I kind of learned to play off of the vision thing so sometimes I would wear my glasses or not when I would go mm-hmm. out to the clubs and then some girls would want to be flirty and like oh can I wear your glasses I was like no. Don't touch my glasses. If you touch my glasses, I'll, you have to pay me $10. Or yeah. it was something like um, some girls would ask, like, oh, how thick are your glasses? Look, look. And I would look, at, I would look deep in her eyes. I would say, look, my glasses are so thick that I could see into the future. So don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then yeah. I would say shit like that. And then so what I realized was I, I am... A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And by the way, I just so happen to have a vision impairment. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that'd be the end of it. And I, and I hate to say it, but some women would accuse me. Why don't you drive? Did you have a DUI or something? I'm like, no, I have mm. no fucking DUI. And so, for, so for when you tell me that the parents would have to call your parents to see mm-hmm. what's up, I was like, what the fuck? My mom would be like, you better go out there and make some moves. You better go talk to someone, you know, because my mom ain't calling nobody. And so like, so, and, and for, for some reason, um, when I hanged out with my social circle at the, at the time, mm-hmm. they saw me as like this big deal because I would literally go and, and talk, but, but what they really didn't know because they couldn't hear me because I was getting rejected. So like, often, like, but they would see, oh, wow. D went up there and talked to them. Like, listen, bro, it wasn't really all that. She just told me to get the fuck away. And then so next <laughs> But, oh, but, you know, that kind of helped build momentum and confidence where I took it out and, and like in business networking now, like I could go to mm-hmm. any room and, and I'm only like five, seven, five, eight, but I fucking like, I I'm like six, five, like in my mind, mm-hmm. like I'm like this, like alpha, like glowing super Saiyan guy. And, and, and I think like people forget because of that, because of that, they forget that I have a vision impairment mm-hmm. because I make up for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, back in the day, I used to take the bus to Miami Beach where all the fucking Bugattis and all the Lamborghinis oh. I was competing against. And my ass would take the bus and then walk two blocks to like the W or the Hyatt or wherever the fuck the lounge was. And, and oh, that was man. my game back in the day. Oh, man. Oh, good old bus. Thank God for the bus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's crazy. So you would have these formal requests. Mm-hmm. And how did, you, how did it make you feel at the time that you were getting all these invites and then you weren't getting these invites anymore. I mean, these like uh, uh, proposals, I I mean. Honestly, I was kind of relieved that I wasn't getting them because I'm like, okay, then I don't want to deal with people who have an issue with it. And if me being honest and me being my true self is what's stopping all these, like, I guess, judgmental people, then that's great. I have an extra filter. And also like we, I wasn't going to go this route of arranged marriage also. So like, I was kind of happy that like no one was like bothering my parents anymore. Mm. right but like it kind of sucked because like in the grapevine like we used to hear people say like oh yeah like you know her parents like should really get her married soon because as her vision gets worse it's going to get harder for them to find someone for her and 
for me, I, I can take it, but I know it's going to be, it's hard for my parents to hear these things. Oh, I see. Right. I understand now. Yeah. You know, for them, like they want to protect their children. They don't want to hear people talking shit about their child. Like, you know, so like it sucks when we hear those things back in the grapevine. So it's kind of like, shut the fuck up. You don't know who I am. Like, you don't know anything about me. You don't know what I'm able to do, but like, I know that. And I know my parents know that too, but I know like sometimes, like my parents are super chill. They're kind of like, you do your thing. You find a guy, you tell us. But like, there are days where people like go up to them and they're like, oh, why aren't you guys doing anything? Like, you guys aren't looking for her. Like, you know, she's like almost 32. And like with her, like with her illness, like you guys should really start looking like, you know, like, and like backstory though like when people are getting people married like the younger you are the better you are like people kind of cut off at a certain age and don't look at girls over a certain age the only time they really look over like 29 is if they can't find anyone under that age so in a weird way people like tell my parents like you know like it's already like your daughter's already older and also because she has an illness you guys should like step it up and my and I feel bad because my parents know they don't want to go this arranged marriage route and like they know that I'm doing what I can to find what I can right but it's just it's frustrating that other people chirp in their ear and it gets them thinking and kind of like oh like is there any truth in what people are saying and so yeah it's a really messed up thing there's also things called marriage brokers I don't know if you've heard about like yeah yeah that show there that was on my notes it's like a broker the fuck is that? yes so that's like a middle person who has all these it's kind of like she's like a real life dating app i guess you can call he or she so basically they have a whole roster of men a whole roster of women and so like when like parents go to her they'll be like oh i have a son who is this 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 we are looking for a girl who is like this they give criteria of the age uh unfortunately they they ask for skin color sometimes which is really stupid uh age uh, occupation salary sometimes height weight all these things and so then the broker then will go through her roster kind of find like the people that matches their like preference and then shows them those girls so uh and the brokers they're quite expensive um and so you pay a certain amount for each profile that you see and then every and then when you tell them you want to meet someone of the people that you she he or she shows you you pay a certain fee for you to meet them and then if you end up marrying the person each the groom side and the bride side have to pay her a lump sum for making the wedding happen but introducing them and making the wedding happen so there was actually a broker uh at one point who was kind of like we weren't going to the broker but there was someone that my parents knew who was a broker and they kind of told my parents like oh like if you ever need to look or whatnot uh I think that when you do look for her uh you shouldn't enclose that she has uh retinitis pigmentosa or that she has a visual impairment and I'm like excuse me I'm not gonna lie because that means how can I trust that the men on your stuff you didn't tell them to lie about something Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? So like already there's that notion that a girl should lie about her health or her, her past, even if it's like, you know what I mean? Like the fact, sometimes they tell girls to not enclose that they drink, you know? So it's like, there's so much pressure for a girl to be quote unquote perfect in our community. But I feel like there's no pressure on a guy at all. <laughs> And a guy can be as old as old as he wants and unmarried, and no and no one will ever say anything. I'm in the wrong game. 
<laughs> I, need, I, I need to, you know, see what's up now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really frustrating. And it's just like, it always comes back to them saying that the girls have to have like what? this perfect persona in order to apparently be wife material. So, you know, what? What does the guys do? Guys defend themselves like, well, yeah, of course. But that's like, the thing. Do- a, lo- a lot of the times, it's like the parents. Sometimes these guys don't even know their parents are doing this. By the way. Oh shit! Right. So it's like it's like a surprise. This is like they don't know until the parents like bring them the pictures of the girls and say like these are the girls and they might not even know what the parents told the broker about their son. Right. And let's be honest. Sometimes our parents don't know everything about us. So yeah. the parents are only telling the broker what they know about their child. So like, it's, it's a, it's a messed up. This is why my parents are like, just go and find it on your own. You do all <laughs> investigating, you do all this and you yeah. decide if it works for nice. you because nice. they've heard horror stories of arranged marriages being a shit show because people lied to the brokers and like yeah. people didn't know stuff. Right. So honestly to me, I'm pretty happy with the life I live right now. I love my career. I love what I get to do. I'm pretty happy. And like, if I find someone great, if I don't, I know it's honestly, like I obviously want to have a family. I want to be a mom, but like, I'm not going to rush into it or just marry just anyone to get to that point. I, I want to be with someone who's completely understanding and respectful of my, my life, my story. And I'll be the same way about that person too. Right. But it's just, I just feel like it's, I think everyone in our community can agree that it's super difficult to date while you have visual impairment. Mm-hmm. Let me, so. let me, um, yeah. And, and I'm so sorry that it's like, it's like that. And it's crazy that the, that the guys don't have to like have a standard either. It almost mm-hmm. makes me wonder like, like, damn, like, like, so, so you're really saying, you know, I can be overweight or I could be this and that. And, from what you're saying, you know, uh, I can, I can do well. Yeah. And I don't get me wrong. There are some stigmas against men in our community that like men, they feel people think that if a man is too emotional, it's a bad thing, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I'm not saying that the guys have it completely hundred percent easy. That's not yeah. what I'm saying, but it just, it, stem down from cultural generations and generations there's always been so much emphasis on the women being yeah. a certain way in order to take care of the men yeah i understand right um so. i just think about my friend sonali because i think she made a few comments that her parents are like that right mm-hmm. and the way i met her was i i when i moved back to miami i needed to find new friends and mm-hmm. i joined i joined the book club okay and then so she was but this girl fucking reads like uh, like two books a week or something i don't know it's something crazy (laughs) she's like a speed reader and um and like it's so cool like like uh like just all the books that she's read and and plus what she reads and i remember we were all having a conversation about this and she says you know the reason why i started this book club was so that i could meet someone who also likes to read and this and that but but I think because also her personality is so so alpha, she really mm-hmm. is. I think yeah. she's an alpha female that guys are intimidated by her. And plus, she's a prosecutor, so she'll put mm-hmm. your ass away. And she probably googled your name five times before you met her. And she you probably know? has it on her own system to look you up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that yeah, is just crazy. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Okay. I, I th- 
And um, uh, what do you call it? One sec, I think my mic. Sorry. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. No, and okay. um, got you. So now you're at a point where you said your parents are like, forget these arranged marriages. If you find someone serendipitously, then go for it. Yeah, exactly. So that's where we are. Honestly, with COVID, dating, dating is quite hard. Yeah. Um. So I've just really been focusing on work and like myself, and uh, as corny as that sounds. Um. No, that's great. So let let me ask, what do you do for work? So I'm an accountant. So that's a lot of computers, a lot of Excel sheets, a lot of number crunching, and like that was kind of another thing that was like really insecure about. Like I started working in accounting and then I got diagnosed like six months later and I was like, oh my God, I deal with numbers. Like what if like my employer thinks that like I'm going to mess up a number, like miscalculate or like misread a number and like then think that I'm not qualified, you know? That was the really hard part for me in the beginning. And I ended up staying at a company for six years because I was so scared to look elsewhere and have to retell my story and like reprove myself, right? But then at that one point, I was just like, F it. If they don't want to hire me because I have a disability, I don't want to work for them. So I kind of have the same mentality when it comes to dating. And when it came to looking for a job, I kind of look at them as the same thing these days. Um, And so I was just very open. And when I go in for interviews now, like I find a way to bring. So on my CV, I have that I volunteer for the visually impaired community. And so usually that kind of strikes up a conversation like, oh, why do you volunteer here? And then I'll be like, oh, because I'm visually impaired. I have this, blah, blah, blah. And I like to be very upfront and honest from the very beginning uh, because I don't want to waste my time working for a company who then later on finds out I'm visually impaired and then fires my ass, you know? So I'd rather be honest and I'd rather be working for a company who's okay with the fact that I am a person with a disability and the fact that they still want me to be a part of their team, regardless of what my situation is. So I'm super grateful that I work for the Canadian national railway. So, um, They've been great, honestly. Like I said in my interview three years ago when I first started with them and I'm still there. I recently switched positions. I got uh, put into another department that that too was like a huge thing for three years. Like I worked with one department and everyone in that department knew that I was a person with a disability. So like that was kind of like a comforting thing. And then now in February, I just switched into a different department. I was kind of like, oh my God, it's a new department. I have to learn new software. I have to like slowly tell people like find ways to like put it in a conversation that I'm visually impaired and it's also difficult because we're working from home so I haven't met my new co-workers in person so it's like all through zoom or zoom or teams or whatever so like so yeah being an accountant and dealing with numbers I was very self like I was really insecure thinking that they will think I'll make a mistake with their numbers. But like, I honestly have been really fortunate to work for a great company and a great, an amazing team uh, that I'm with now that are super supportive. And like, everyone's always like, oh, like, you know, I found a way to like make this look better or this be like bigger for you. So like, you know, just add this add in and it'll be better. And like, everyone's super supportive. So it's been really nice to feel a part of the team and not feel like they think less of me because of my disability. So mm. it's it's been really nice. Yeah. Nice. I do digital marketing, right? And I have oh, to deal, nice. I have to deal with uh I look at a screen too all day. And mm-hmm. then I have to do now reports and I fucking hate it. Like 
it, it yeah. like I have to do the Excel and download the numbers and I got to make sure all the numbers are right. And yeah. the stuff that I avoided all my life. Yeah. Like I've worked so hard to avoid this. And, then, <laughs> and, and you know what it is it, to us, like I always use those as like selling points when I used to have interviews. Cause I'm like, because we're visually impaired, we are so like detail oriented. We double check our work. We're super like careful. We like make sure everything's right. Like I feel that's like our strong point because mm-hmm. we don't want to make that mistake. And we make sure everything is correct. And like we see the numbers and all those things are accurate, right? So like that's to mm-hmm. our advantage, right? So the, mm-hmm. there's ways that I think that people can think as a disadvantage, but we can use to our advantage. So it's just mm-hmm. like what I've learned in the last 10 years is that we, we can definitely do what we want to do, but we have our own way of doing it, right? And it's like, we like, to me, like I, I still wear, I still do my own makeup. I might not apply makeup the same way that as a sighted person might do it, but I can still do it. And my end result is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just finding our own way, our own path of getting to where we want to get to. It might take a little longer, but we still, we're still able to get there. We're still able to get the job done. It's just, and maybe we might even do it better. Who knows? Yeah. The, the thing about the employment though, is because I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I know that there's laws in place Yes. For, without discrimination, but Honestly, that doesn't, that doesn't, I don't know. That doesn't really fucking help because at the end of the day, it's up to the employer. Like if, do they want to hire you and spend the extra time in making sure that you're accommodated? Yes. Like legally, they can't not hire you because of disability, but they can always find a way to be like, oh yeah, this person didn't have this or this person was better than that. Like there's always a loophole, which fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's great that there's laws, but like, it sucks that people find loopholes to go about it. Because when, so my job, right. I was a pretty good marketer. Like, so let me tell you, and and, then I'm trying to figure out how to branch this, but basically I I have to manage like about $300,000 a month just on digital ads. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in all platforms, it's like, I'm the motherfucker that can get the leads. I get people to the websites, to the webinars. Mm -hmm. Like I could do that shit. And so that's what I'm, what I'm good at. Right. And then when my boss is like, I need you to do reports, I got oh, fuck. Now I got to learn how to download Excel and get these columns. Right. And get oh, these. Yeah. And, and because that's something I've just never put in the work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she knew that that was not a strong point. Like I mm-hmm. struggled so much and I swear she would get mad like at oh, the no. back and forth. But I think she put up with me <laughs> because one, I could you know, I could definitely uh, um, give results in this other de- this other area of of marketing, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm I'm super determined and, and I'm very competitive. Like my mm-hmm. thing is, I'm super competitive, and and thankfully she worked with me and she's like a mentor now. And you know, I've gotten really great with the reports. I'm kind of like surprised like how well I'm doing with them. Mm-hmm. And but honestly though, it was completely up to her because, like you said, she could have just made an excuse. Like mm-hmm. this is just not working out. Peace. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And um, and I remember there was this other young lady that I had on the podcast last year. We were talking and we were in a group chat and she had an interview and she said, Hey guys, I'm gonna go on an interview. Do you think I should bring my cane? Close. Oh, okay. And I'm like, bro, that's a fucked up question to ask. Like, wh- it sucks that that you would have to think to bring your cane because she didn't want people to think that she was incapable. Yep. But isn't that so fucked up, though? Yeah, no, like, it is. The fact that you have to hide something that 
helps you navigate because you're scared that someone's going to think that you can't do that job, even though you fully can. But you're just like, maybe I should just hide it just so I have a fair chance. Right. Like, to me, it's... That's why there's a lot of work to be done. I think the more awareness that's raised, the more that people see that, like, people with visual impairments are coming different spectrums, different walks of life will help going forward. I think the more that people see it on social media or even in, like, mainstream media, I think people will become normalized, I guess. I don't know if that's even the word. Um, No, no, I think that's a good word because, like you said, like... uh... Uh, I think I think I heard, I don't know, I can't remember what podcast it was that you did, that you went to, to some conference and someone accused you or, or uh, yes. you, yeah. were, you didn't look visually impaired or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like my first conference in 2015. And she was like, but you're like, too pretty to be blind. I'm like, excuse me? What is that even supposed to mean? Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I heard that comment. So what is that even supposed to mean? Like, what, so if I wasn't blind, I'd be ugly? Like, it's like, it's like, telling, <laughs> I used to get, like, people tell me, like, oh, you're pretty for a dark girl. Oh, Excuse shit. me? And then it became, oh, you're pretty for a blind girl. Like, and I, and I think they mean to compliment you, but you're just like, what? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, uh, did you hear what you just said? Like, how that sounds or what you just implied? Mm-hmm. And I think for her, that girl... Like later on, she was a volunteer. So she had actually come into the room that I was in after that we were having a discussion. And she was like the volunteers that if someone had to go to the bathroom, she'd bring them because a lot of people in the room are visually impaired. So she was in the room and we were talking about our experiences and something that we wish people wouldn't judge us on. And I actually saw her in the corner of the room crying after. And so I went to see her after. I'm like, is everything okay? And she goes, I feel horrible. She goes, till she goes, because of what I said to you and then what I l- listened to everyone say today. She oh, goes, I shit. never realized how fucked up it is that, like, what I even said, how that can be triggering. Yeah. So at least she learned. But, like, that's why I'm saying, like, people don't have enough exposure, right? Like, there's, I think the more exposure there is, the more awareness there is, that it becomes a normal thing in people's lives that people are just like, well, yeah, yeah, she's visually impaired, but that's perfectly normal. Like, you know, for people, just like how, unfortunately, cancer has become a normal thing that we hear about now. Yeah. And it's like, it's because we hear about it so much, right? And I think with visual impairment and like disability, just for people to realize that, disabilities can be invisible i think that's a huge thing that people don't realize right people just assume that in order to be someone with the disability it has to be a physical impairment that we have to see it or they have to be in a wheelchair or have a guide dog and people think that that's the only way you could be someone with a disability mm-hmm. so there's a lot of work to be done but i am pretty glad about the progression we've had in the last 10 years like, I don't want to take away from the progression that we've had. Like, it's, it's been pretty nice to see the different campaigns and, like, especially with work from home, different companies who are working to have their platforms be more accessible. Like, Microsoft is doing an amazing job, like, making sure it's accessible for every disability group possible, you know? So I think I can't take away from the pro- progression, but I would like there to be more. I think we would all like for there to be more. Uh, but yeah, baby steps, I guess, 
within maybe in two years, we'll see more of it. So talking about tech, what's your primary phone and Apple, computer? Because it makes it so easy. <laughs> okay. You're on that Apple game. Okay. Yeah. Apple honestly is great. Uh, um, like I, my font is so big. I think the person who sits next to me on the train probably knows my life story. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's great. Honestly, I feel like Apple does a great job with uh, magnifying, with uh, with like Siri, with everything. Like it's been great. Um, my work computer is an HP, uh, but I've been using it for three years, and I'm kind of used to it with all the Zoom and everything on it. Um, but yeah, so that's what I use, and I mostly use my phone or my iPad to be honest, because it's like easier to zoom in and do all those things. Um, but yeah, how about you? Um, I think you're an Apple person too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was thinking about it this morning. I was doing my morning walk and, and like, for example, I like the Android phones. I think mm-hmm. hardware, they're a great phone, but like Apple's ecosystem and, and their accessibility, it's like, it's just so many light years Ahead. ahead yeah like, like i don't think so anyone many. can beat their accessibility i no, feel like it's amazing. everyone that you talk to with a visual impairment is going to tell you they have an, an apple, apple product yeah so let me tell you this funny story years ago when i moved to charlotte north carolina to do my undergraduate there and i found a job at this place i'm very grateful for this place but i also do talk talk shit about this service too mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'll tell you in a minute but it was uh, basically I was when I got there, one of my first things was to do was uh, to find a job and mm-hmm. I would reach out anywhere to find a job. And I found a job at this place that they made military gear or outfits or something. And the majority of the people they hired were people with vision impairments just there working on, you know, just manual labor, mm-hmm. basically, you know, whatever. As, but much as I bitch and complain about it uh, uh, then and I still do now, I was grateful for it at the mm-hmm. time. And. And so the, the colleagues were all visually impaired or blind. And one of them came in and at, this is at the time when Apple just had an exclusive rights to sell their phone only on the AT&T platform. That's it. No one had it. Oh, wow. And okay. She, and she had it. She brought it in and we were all fucking blown away because of the mm-hmm. speech, the text or whatever it was. It mm-hmm. was like literally like maybe Apple two or Apple three. I don't know what it was. No one remembers what the numbers were anymore. No. <laughs> No, I don't know what it was, but we were just amazed that that phone could do all that from the jump. Because before that, there were like these like flip phones or these like mm-hmm. two way phones or whatever. You had to buy the phone. And then I think you had to buy a program and download that shit. It was like, yeah, a whole, yeah. it was a whole MacGyver thing. Mm-hmm. And it was and then literally Apple put those businesses out of business because of the accessibility. Yeah. And, and I just remember like, like from the jump they were just so on it and they've gotten better obviously yeah and it's and it actually works it's not yeah. just a, a gimmick to sell yeah. it actually works and it keeps it works. improving and like i i feel like everyone that i see at a conference has an apple phone because yeah. that's what's accessible and it's easier for us to learn off of and it's just like and like you can adjust it. So it's not like I don't have to use complete voiceover text all the time. I can turn it off. You know what I mean? So like you can adjust it to how your environment is. So I I think it's it's great. (laughs) Yeah. I use at work. I use an iMac and when people come to my desk, because we know we're talking about some shit, they hate looking at my computer because I zoom in and out so quick. Like Mm -hmm. I can't see this. I'll just email you. All right. Bye. <laughs> but uh I, I I use Apple and and uh it's just been 
uh, it's just, it's definitely an equalizer for sure, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because it just helps out a lot. Um, well, listen, I, I, I know I've taken up a lot of your morning and I'm sorry, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. but I, but I really appreciate the conversation. And, uh, by the way, did you forget it was a podcast? I did. Honestly, I just felt like we were just catching up and like, <laughs> I, I love these kinds of podcasts. I yeah. love connecting with people, just hearing other people's stories, sharing our story and just connecting. I think it's just a great, especially with like COVID not being able to meet humans. Like podcasting has been like my way to like connect with people. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, been great. Yeah, so keep doing what you're doing. And it's like, it's, I love what you're doing, raising awareness, talking to different people with vision loss. And like, it's just great to hear other people's stories you know like yeah. i feel like i'm so tired of talking about my own story <laughs> that yeah. i'm just like it's so great to hear other people's stories yeah, and just like sure. root for them you know just yeah. be like you know what seeing other people thrive in our community is just great and our community is so kick-ass like i'm so proud of our community because everyone does so many different things and people are other people wouldn't think we would be doing yeah no, so it's just it's been great yeah so i have three questions for you and i'm just curious to know I want to know your favorite movies, music, and um, damn, what's the other question I usually ask? Movies, music. All right, wait, we'll start with those. What are your favorite movies that you like to watch that are your go-to? Okay, so I, I like my rom-coms. Like, there's certain rom-coms that I like just put in the background because I've watched them before. But I like so one of my favorite movies is Lion. Okay, uh, it, I think it's still on Netflix. So it's about, I want to give away too much, but it's basically about a boy uh, from India who basically gets displaced from his family and ends up in an orphanage and he ends up getting adopted and moving to America. And basically the movie is about him growing up and having like, I guess, mental and emotional issues of not being able to connect with his heritage and himself because he is now living with an American white family, but he's Indian. So like he kind of used his whole movie is about him finding out who he is and trying to find out where he's from. Cause he doesn't remember the, the city that he's from, from India. So it's just a very interesting movie and how Google maps, it like helped him find his way or find parts of his, his heritage and stuff. So it was a really cool movie. And I think if you have, if it's still on Netflix, give it a shot. Uh, it's a very emotional movie, uh, but it's it's a very like touching movie. I I till this day I always recommend it to other people. Nice, yeah. I just found it, so I'm gonna definitely check it out. Yeah, nice. I like you know like I think there's definitely a favorite movie from every genre, but I yeah. I love movies. And when growing up, my parents mostly worked, right? And I mm-hmm. basically raised my sister. Yeah. And we didn't have any money for any vacations or any mm-hmm. of that shit. And so all we did was just stay home and watch TV and movies. So I've seen so many movies that I mm-hmm. can't even account for. I always tell people, if you got a problem in your life, let me know, bro. I'll tell you a movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just remembered another one that I watched uh-huh. before. And yesterday I saw that it's on Netflix. Uh-huh. I'm assuming it's on Netflix USA also. It's with Kevin Hart and it's called The Upside. It okay. is, it's not like it's, it's not as typical, like, comedic movie but there is some comedy but it is an amazing feel-good movie that makes you it's about him taking care of someone with a disability yeah he's like pair like yeah exactly yeah he's like a famous author i believe i've watched it so long it's a famous author or something he basically it is such an amazing movie 
And it was great to see like Kevin Hart in a role that was like different from his like comedic role, you know? So yeah. it was, I, honestly, I used to watch the movie and I was, I watched it like last year and I was like, where was this movie all my life? Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a great movie. And if you mm-hmm. ever get a chance to um, read his autobiography, it's really nice. Like a very, mm-hmm. very humbly, like very, like, like good grit mo- uh, mm-hmm. uh, beginnings, you know, how he, yeah. how he got there. But yeah. nice. Yeah, I've seen that one. The episode. That one's a great one. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, okay. And um, oh, I remember my other question. So do you have any favorite music Do you, you like to play in the background or a favorite album so- that just... Uh-huh. My music taste is like all over the place. It really well, depends on the mood that I'm in. Like, so I like listening to my R&B, my hip hop, my 90s pop. Like I was a huge Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys person. Like 90s music makes me so happy. Um, I like my reggaeton. I like, it really depends on the mood that I'm in. Okay. So, and I also like, like my top 40. I like my Justin Bieber. Like I'm all over the place when it comes to music. I like my like, Tamil music I like my Indian music so like when I'm working I like having music in the background and like I honestly think every day it's like a different playlist because I'm just like oh today I'm in the mood for this so I'm very open to my music selection so yeah and 90s music just throws you back so you're just like oh yeah like this this brings me back to this day so yeah 90s music playlist usually uh is usually like a throwback and you're you're just jamming so it's good how about you Nice. I, I, I think I'm definitely stuck like in the eight. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> it depends because like I love one topic, a topic that I love a lot is music history. I never studied okay. it in school or any of that, but I just love music history. Like I like to know the backstories of groups and stuff. 90s. I love 90s. Uh, I was just mm-hmm. listening to the Backstreet Boys uh, album like a few days ago at work. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what the fuck are you listening to? Like, don't worry about it. I'm like, my, my work's oh, getting my God, done. I- when I was working at Sephora, like I was like one of the older people and like Spice Girls came on like the Sephora playlist and I was like jamming in the background and one of the girls was like, what is that? I'm like, you, did you just ask me what this was? I lost it. About like, Spice Girls? Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. And it was a song Wannabe too and I'm like, how do you not know this song? That's fucking crazy. Right? And I was like, and she was like, what? I was 26 and maybe she was like 19. Yeah. But you know, but you know what's crazy though, and this is what I've learned, right? I think the reason for that is because, like, uh, for example, let's say Guitar Hero, that's mm-hmm. that game. Mm-hmm. Like those companies, those music companies are super smart. They'll license the music, put that shit in Guitar Hero, so the younger gens know that song. Mm-hmm. So I feel like whoever owns the Spice Girls are not doing a good job in circulating that because that's yeah. such a great song. Oh my God. Yeah. All their songs were great. It's just, you know, crazy. And yeah. So I love the nineties. I remember, uh, when I would go to uh, get home from school and my friends like, Hey, do you want to go play football? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. I'm just going to go eat. But in reality, I, w- I wanted to watch TRL. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's in the top 10 today? I need to watch oh this shit. God, I remember those like top 10 video accounts. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah good times. Like Britney Spears and then yeah. Christina Aguilera and then Jennifer Lopez and then they had all the these. other day I watched an interview and Jessica Simpson was on. I'm like, oh my god, remember when Jessica Simpson had music? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, like that look those things people won't know these days, right? Like it's just like just like how people these days don't know that like J Lo and Ben Affleck were a thing back then. They think they're a new couple now. They're like, no, 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 it happened years ago. Yeah, this 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 he gave her a diamond pink diamond ring or some bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So people nowadays are like, what? 
she yeah. used to date Batman back yeah. in the day. Yeah, like, I <laughs> yeah, I know. We just aged ourselves or whatever. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like, I'll bring it back. Like, because, like, like, oh, yeah, I mean, and no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I can go from, the, the thing is, I have a hard time connecting with the new music now. I have a brother mm-hmm. that's 18. And I ask him, so, so, so who's in the game now? So who's, who's on top of the game? And he'll send me some rap artists. It's like, bro, all this shit sounds the same. All this global yep. rap. And I, I sent them a video of Snoop Dogg. And it was this one funny show that they have on YouTube. They just sit there and smoke weed and just talk. And um, he goes, he goes, all this mumbo rap, all this shit sounds all the same. And he makes fun of it. It's really funny because he mimics it. And, um, but no, I like all music. Like you said, like, Mm -hmm. for example, going back to music history, I saw a great documentary a few months ago of the Bee Gees. Mm -hmm. And I love the Bee Gees, but I didn't know the Bee Gees started like, uh, like, you know, in the sixties, you know, I thought they were only famous in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And I saw another great documentary about the Apollo theater in New York. And, uh, even, um, I'm, I'm like a casual fan of the Beatles, but okay. even, even Paul McCarthy said in this documentary, we heard, we, we, we got, uh, records of live performances from the Apollo theater, which is a predominantly black entertainment. Mm-hmm. And all we did was we changed a little bit and introduced it to the white audience. Yeah. And I was like, bro, like, like what a biter. And um, so, yeah. So, so going back to music, I completely understand it depends on the mood. Oh, and then there's some days I'll play house music. Like I love house music. Okay. And so, oh, and R&B, 90s R&B. Oh, like, the best. The best. I can't play R. Kelly anymore because it just feels. Oh yeah, me too. Uh, Yeah, I can't play R. Kelly anymore either. Like I took it out of my playlist. I'm like, ah, I can't. I can't. I mean, I I mean, my shit was my my thing was it was always like bump and grind. It was always like my Mm -hmm. song. And then recently on the playlist, I had it was like he had the song "Keep It on the Down Low." I was like, what the fuck is he saying? Yeah. (laughs) That's when now you listen to his song, you're like, oh, you you were telling us everything the whole time, you know? So yeah. And so yeah. I, I get it. I, I completely get it. Mm-hmm. And then so nice. So so it sounds like your music is everywhere. The only thing I don't listen to is I think you mentioned like uh, I think uh, Indian music or, yeah. or whatever. That's the only thing I don't listen to. Yeah, I think everything exactly. else. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think it's mostly because I don't really know. I don't have access to it. I don't know where mm-hmm. to get it. But that's really it. But if you have any recommendations, send it over. I will. And, and um, I'll, I'll give it a, a, a ring. A tingle. Okay. <laughs> And um, I'm also a big reader. I always like to know what people are reading. Do you have any favorite books that you like to read or recommend? Um, so I used to read a lot when I was younger. And then as my vision started like getting worse, I feel like I can't read on a train or a bus or a car anymore. And that's when I used to read the most. I feel like I get nauseous now when I read. So okay. like, I just kind of stop reading. But I have, I've, honestly, it's so bad. Like my life has been so busy that I've been so bad with reading but I have I had read the Michelle Obama book uh there's Humble the Poet that has a really good books also I like self-help books that kind of make you think outside your regular way of thinking because that's I find the best way to learn because if if I think the same way all the time I'm never going to learn something or think outside the box so I always like reading those kinds of books mm-hmm. um but I feel like that's something I need recommendations for because I actually miss reading and learning that I'm actually thinking of getting an audible account so I feel like I need recommendations for books because if I'm going to get audible I definitely need to know about more books to listen to because 
apparently I don't have time to read anymore. <laughs> could, could I give you a suggestion? Yeah, of course. Um, first of all, I used to have Audible, but I was reading so much that it was just getting expensive. So there's another oh, right. that okay. I use is called Scribe, S-C-R-I-B-E-D. And okay. it's only like nine bucks a month. And you can okay. listen to as many books as you can consume. Oh, yeah, it's great. I'll send you a thing and I tell everyone about it because I read a lot of books to the point where it's mm-hmm. just getting expensive. And in terms of, I love self-help books, um, mm-hmm. like going back to my dad thing. Um, my mom, you know, like, like as a mom, my mom raising me, she, you know, like a, a, a mom can only do so much mm-hmm. for a son. Right. Yeah. And I've always struggled. Even now I always look for like a male mentor. What, like a few weeks ago, I went to go get my ears checked. And mm-hmm. I think it was at this like clinic where all these old people are mm-hmm. and, um, and they're all just waiting. And I think they're like regulars where they know where everything is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're just, and I'm like, look, and I get in there and I'm looking at the directory and I'm trying to see it. And this older guy comes in, it could be my uh, grandpa's age in Spanish. And he goes to me, buscando? like, what are you looking for? And I was like, oh, okay. So what kind of office he and I'm looking for this office and blah, we're talking. And he puts his hand on my shoulder. And it was like, it was weird. Like, let's say the first two seconds, but it was like comforting because mm-hmm. I don't really have yeah. someone to do that to me. And mm-hmm. it was like, and I kind of melted like mm-hmm. for a moment, you know, when he did that and he, he took me all into the elevator to the eighth floor. And he goes, I use it's over there. I, I, he goes, I used like it's over there in the corner. Oh, okay. Muchisima gracias. Thank you, sir. And, and it was like, just, just that, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, like, wow. So because I didn't have that much, I relied on books because mm-hmm. I didn't because I didn't really have any positive outlets. Yeah, where I grew up, so I read books like, um, uh, let's say on, on Andrew Carnegie, John Maxwell, Grant Cardone, on Les Brown, and just all these people because like I didn't have like a positive. I I, I didn't have yeah. it, and, yeah. and it wasn't certainly not coming from me. Mm-hmm. So like one of my favorite books is, uh, and I'll send it over to you. Is uh, his name is John Maxwell, and he used to be. Um, like way back in the day, like a pastor, but his books are not like Christian or anything, but he has this one book. It's one of my favorite books. It's called Failing Forward because everyone has in the market, they'd all have these, these stupid ass books, like the 10 keys of success and the five mm-hmm. keys of whatever. This book is strictly about failure. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And, and he grabs your attention by talking about Mary Kay cosmetics. Have you ever used it or heard of her? Uh, never used it, but I've been approached to like be a rep for them several times. Yeah. So Mary Kay back in the day, kind of like maybe, I think you could relate to this. So back in the day, she was like, uh, like a, a C-suite executive or one of these, uh, department stores. Mm-hmm. They were all run by men, of course. And then she decided to quit and wanted to do her own thing and use all her life savings. And from what I understand, it was like between under $10,000, like that was her life savings. So her and her husband do this prep. She feels that she can launch a better cosmetic brand and obviously being run by a woman and she feels like she could, she could do it. Mm -hmm. And she gets everything ready in a month before the launch or a week before the launch, her husband dies of a heart attack on the kitchen in the kitchen. Oh my God. And like, and then the question is, what the fuck do you do? Mm -hmm. She had all the rights in the world to say, I can't do this. I have to postpone this. I don't think I can do this. Mm -hmm. She had every excuse in the world to not go through with it, but she went through with it anyway. And, you know, history is written after that. Yeah. And so he talks about like these famous people that these are stories that we don't hear 
uh, because you know their their highlights is just mostly talked about, and it's such a it's such a refreshing book because because not everything goes to plan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like one of my favorite favorite books. It's only like it's like if you do Audible, it's only two hours long. Okay, um, but I've read the book like five times, oh. and and I I definitely recommend that book. Yeah. And then um, there's another one like I think you're in this space too, or in the same mindset as I am. Like, like, because we want to be like a leader mm-hmm. or, or leaders in the tribe, you know, mm-hmm. and there's another book, I think they made into a show is called Endurance uh, with Ernest. So it was a captain named Ernest Shackleton, and they wanted to explore like the uh, a, a part of the world that hasn't been explore, explored. And this was like in 1910, 1915. Okay. And they go so far in Alaska that they that the. Uh, that the water is so frozen that the ship gets stuck there. It's almost like an almond in a chocolate bar that gets stuck there. Oh, wow. And they're stuck there for weeks. And then they run out of food and they have to like kill seals and everything and, and, and just to survive. And so it's basically about leadership because like you're in a, like your chances of dying is like 80%. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was able to keep everyone in check uh, verbally, and, and, and physically, what I mean, physically, sometimes there were like a few altercations or whatever, mm-hmm. from what I, I think I remember reading the book at the end was everyone survived in that wreckage and they were out there for weeks. No one would come and get them. Oh, wow. And it's such an amazing book about leadership, uh, that it's just, yeah. Like, like, what do you do when shit hits the fan yeah. and you're going to die? Do you either lose faith or go insane with the rest of the crew? Mm-hmm. You know, so those are t- just two book recommendations. Wow. No, the first one sounds really, really interesting. Oh, so I love it. Yeah, I think I'm going to, because I love, because like from our experiences, we've had hardship and it's, it's all about like how you move forward from that, right? And I think yeah. failure is kind of an important key in our life. Like if life is smooth sailing, like I always think about it this way. Like if I didn't get diagnosed with RP, like I don't think I would have learned as much as I've learned in the past 10 years. I wouldn't have encountered the amazing people that I've encountered. Like my life lessons wouldn't have taught me this, this lesson and whatnot, you know? So like, I think failure is important. It, mm-hmm. it sucks when it happens. Yeah, for sure. But when you look back, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. That's it. It taught me this. Right. right. So I think it's really important. I think learning about huge like successors and their failures and how that helped them motivate kind of puts a pep in your step. So definitely a book that I would love to, to get into. Yeah. So thank you. I'll make sure to send that. For you. Yes. Um, well, I appreciate it so much for you uh, sparing a few hours every day on a Saturday. Oh, you're so very welcome. I was so happy when you reached out. I would love to be a part of this and I love yeah. what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. And if I wanted to send people your way, where, where can they reach you? So I am on Instagram and my Instagram is shines uh, underscore with RP. Got it. Nice. So don't <laughs> hang up just yet. Okay. But I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much though. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Hey fam, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Definitely appreciate it that you've uh, listened through it all the way to this point that you're hearing me now for the outro. So thank you so much. Um, also, if you if you guys could do me a huge favor, which it would be much appreciated, um, if you guys can drop a like or a review 
on what you guys think of the podcast, what can be better. Uh, you know, would you recommend it to someone that would definitely help because the more feedback I get about the podcast, the better it can be to get this out there, right. To every, to people who really want to hear all these amazing stories and people. So thank you again. Please leave a like and review much appreciated. Share the love. Definitely appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so for Miami, Florida, hope you guys have a great week and thank you again. Peace.